Seems like you're gasping with excitement. That's right. Because it's Thursday. Yep. It's Thursday, alright. And it's Thursday. And you're and excited to hear from me. Yeah, I can tell. It's a scorcher. By the quivering in your... It's a scorcher. By the quivering in your voice and the... <gasps> you got it. Here on Time for Go to Bed. Happy it's Thursday. time for your stories. What? I just said happy Thursday. You muted yourself. I know. Okay. Happy Thursday. So yeah, you said you I... were saying you were saying it's time for stories. Time for your stories. It's time for go to bed. Time for Jerry in the circus. It's time to see what's happening in Oz. Oh yeah. Yep. We're gonna be at the halfway mark tonight of Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz. Oh. This marks uh, also episode uh, the uh, fourth to last episode of Wormwood Forest. Um, Jerry of and the circus, he gets a new job. Oh, nice. Nothing like super employing an 11-year-old. We wouldn't want him to go to school or anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> listen, listen for when Jerry. Listen for when Jerry goes. Yeah. I, I am actually. I, yeah. I, I, I do want to hear that. Because that's kind of a voice we use for our cat Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Jerry uh -huh. and Jerry does the same thing. He goes. Uh huh. And yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Did you know that? Uh, like when Jerry, Jerry of of the circus uh, came to an end. Um, they kept, they changed the show in the setting for it, and it was like Jerry of West Point, so he's like in a military academy or something. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, way to flip things on huh. on their head, right? So Yeah, that is well, surprising. I can't imagine that lasted as long as Jerry of the Circus, though. And, uh, yeah. we've got some more revelations on Magic Island, and, uh, that's where this comes from. <gasps> Uh, <laughs> and we've got another stupid five-minute mystery that we might or might not play. <laughs> oh yeah! God, those things are stupid. Um, yeah, do, do uh, like they 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 get a little more. I mean, the first one I heard, I kind of thought it was interesting. They don't put packages more than seventy pounds through the post office because it could be a body. That was like the first one I ever heard. I thought that was kind of educational, but after that, I've kind of been disappointed. You didn't know that fella's nickname. I'm accusing you of murder. What? That's how it happens. <gasps> Point and accuse. <laughs> so yeah, uh, but yeah, so we're 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 rolling right along uh, again. Uh, there's only 10 more chapters after tonight of Dorothy and the Wizard. It's kind of a short book. And the chapters are kind of short, yeah. too. I'm kind of excited about the first, ch the chapter 9, the title of it. Uh, yeah. Probably the most deadly sounding animal I've ever heard of. 
Invisible bears. Invisible bears. Oh man, it's nothing right. I want to deal with. No. Uh, yeah, invisible bears. Jeez. Foxfire is <laughs> posting um, uh, some pictures of turkeys on a truck. Oh. And uh, yeah, and uh, she says they look a little bit like kiddo. That is cute. Yeah, yeah. they do have a certain kiddo. regal geeky quality. Yeah, I mean, you could uh, probably somebody could probably Photoshop that into kiddo with the three heads, and you know, just like you yeah. Know. Dinosaurs and birds have a lot in common. I don't know if uh, I'm sure everybody knows this, but yeah, birds kind of evolved from dinosaurs, and they kind of have that little mm -hmm. weird quality about them. Yeah, yeah. So um... that's why I like birds, but I also like my cats. Think they should die. Yeah, cats kill dinosaurs. Cats kill birds. Which are dinosaurs. Sort of. Yeah. Uh, kind yeah. of. All right. All right. I get you. I get you. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, oh, God. Stop. <laughs> Tennessee. Stop it. Tennessee. Oh, Tennessee. Uh, You're so a new cat today. Yeah. Well, he's napping, so yeah. I'm happy about uh -huh. that. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I suppose anyway, we, we should, uh, we should probably hop right into this. Uh, we usually talk about our Let's eBay, eBay stuff, but I'm going to actually probably work on some listings while we listen. So, um, you got them to look at work on, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to get scary around here. Oh yeah. Well, not in, th this is a nice. We do nice stories for the nice people to go to bed, but our eBay store is going to get scary with scary movies. Oh, yeah. We have yeah. a huge onslaught yeah. of vampire and Bella Lugosi stuff and Christopher Lee stuff coming. It's going to be great. Um, so, yeah. But for right now, we have some invisible bears to deal with. What? Okay, let's go. Chapter 9 of Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz by L. Frank Baum. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. They Fight the Invisible Bears The strangers took their seats at the table willingly enough, for they were all hungry, and the platters were now heaped with good things to eat. In front of each place was a plate bearing one of the delicious Dama fruit, and the perfume that rose from these was so enticing and sweet that they were sorely tempted to eat of them and become invisible. But Dorothy satisfied her hunger with other things, and her companions did likewise, resisting the temptation. Why do you not eat the damas? asked the woman's voice. We don't want to get invisible, answered the girl. But if you remain visible, the bears will see you and devour you, said a girlish young voice that belonged to one of the children. We who live here much prefer to be invisible, for we can still hug and kiss one another and are quite safe from the bears. And we do not have to be so particular about our dress, remarked the man. And Mama can't tell whether my face is dirty or not, added the other childish voice gleefully. But I make you wash it every time I think of it, said the mother, for it stands to reason your face is dirty, Ianu, whether I can see it or not. 
Dorothy laughed and stretched out her hands. Come here, please, Ayanu, and your sister, and let me feel of you, she requested. They came to her willingly, and Dorothy passed her hands over their faces and forms, and decided one was a girl of about her own age, and the other a boy somewhat smaller. The girl's hair was soft and fluffy, and her skin as smooth as satin. When Dorothy gently touched her nose and ears and lips, they seemed to be well and delicately formed. If I could see you, I am sure you would be beautiful, she declared. The girl laughed, and her mother said, We are not vain in the Valley of Vaux because we cannot display our beauty, and good actions and pleasant ways are what make us lovely to our companions. Yet we can see and appreciate the beauties of nature, the dainty flowers and trees, the green fields, and the clear blue of the sky. How about the birds and beasts and fishes? asked Zeb. The birds we cannot see because they love to eat of the damas as much as we do. Yet we hear their sweet songs and enjoy them. Neither can we see the cruel bears, for they also eat the fruit. But the fishes that swim in our brooks we can see, and often we catch them to eat. It occurs to me you have a great deal to make you happy, even while invisible, remarked the wizard. Nevertheless, we prefer to remain visible while we are in your valley. Just then Eureka came in, for she had been until now wandering outside with Jim, and when the kitten saw the table set with food, she cried out, Now you must feed me, Dorothy, for I am half starved. The children were inclined to be frightened by the sight of the small animal, which reminded them of the bears. But Dorothy reassured them by explaining that Eureka was a pet and could do no harm even if she wished to. Then, as the others had by this time moved away from the table, the kitten sprang upon the chair and put her paws upon the cloth to see what there was to eat. To her surprise, an unseen hand clutched her and held her suspended in the air. Eureka was frantic with terror and tried to scratch and bite. So the next moment she was dropped to the floor. Did you see that, Dorothy? she gasped. Yes, dear, her mistress replied. There are people living in this house, although we cannot see them. And you must have better manners, Eureka, or something worse will happen to you. She placed a plate of food upon the floor, and the kitten ate greedily. Give me that nice smelling food I saw on the table, she begged when she had cleaned the plate. Those are damas, said Dorothy, and you must never even taste them, Eureka, or you'll get invisible, and then we can't see you at all. The kitten gazed wistfully at the forbidden fruit. Does it hurt to be invisible? she asked. I don't know, Dorothy answered, but it would hurt me dreadfully to lose you. Very well, I won't touch it, decided the kitten. But you must keep it away from me, for the smell is very tempting. Can you tell us, sir or madam, said the wizard, addressing the air, because he did not quite know where the unseen people stood, if there is any way we can get out of your beautiful valley and on top of the earth again? Oh, one can leave the valley easily enough, answered the man's voice. But to do so, you must enter a far less pleasant country. As for reaching the top of the earth, I have never heard that it is possible to do that. 
and if you succeed in getting there you would probably fall off. Oh, no, said Dorothy. We've been there, and we know. The Valley of Vaux is certainly a charming place, resumed the wizard, but we cannot be contented in any other land than our own for long. Even if we should come to unpleasant places on our way, it is necessary, in order to reach the earth's surface, to keep moving on toward it. In that case, said the man, it will be best for you to cross our valley and mount the spiral staircase inside the pyramid mountain. The top of that mountain is lost in the clouds, and when you reach it you will be in the awful land of Nought, where the gargoyles live. What are gargoyles? asked Zeb. I do not know, young sir. Our greatest champion, Overman Anu, once climbed the spiral stairway and fought nine days with the gargoyles before he could escape them and come back. But he could never be induced to describe the dreadful creatures, and soon afterward a bear caught him and ate him up. The wanderers were rather discouraged by this gloomy report, but Dorothy said with a sigh, If the only way to get home is to meet the gurgles, then we've got to meet them. They can't be worse than the wicked witch or the gnome king. But you must remember you had the Scarecrow and the Tin Woodman to help you conquer those enemies, suggested the wizard. Just now, my dear, there is not a single warrior in your company. Oh, I guess Zeb could fight if he had to, couldn't you, Zeb? asked the little girl. Perhaps, if I had to, answered Zeb doubtfully. And you have the jointed sword that you chopped the vegetable sorcerer into with, the girl said to the little man. True, he replied, and in my satchel are other useful things to fight with. What the gargoyles most dread is a noise, said the man's voice. Our champion told me that when he shouted his battle cry, the creatures shuddered and drew back, hesitating to continue the combat. But they were in great numbers, and the champion could not shout much, because he had to save his breath for fighting. Very good, said the wizard. We can all yell better than we can fight, so we ought to defeat the gargoyles. But tell me, said Dorothy, how did such a brave champion happen to let the bears eat him? And if he was invisible and the bears invisible, who knows that they really ate him up? The champion had killed eleven bears in his time, returned the unseen man. And we know this is true, because when any creature is dead, the invisible charm of the Dama fruit ceases to be active, and the slain one can be plainly seen by all eyes. When the champion killed a bear, everyone could see it, and when the bears killed the champion, we all saw several pieces of him scattered about, which of course disappeared again when the bears devoured them. They now bade farewell to the kind but unseen people of the cottage, and after the man had called their attention to a high pyramid-shaped mountain on the opposite side of the valley, and told them how to travel in order to reach it, they again started upon their journey. They followed the course of a broad stream, and passed several more pretty cottages, but of course they saw no one, nor did anyone speak to them. Fruits and flowers grew plentifully all about, and there were many of the delicious damas that the people of Vaux were so fond of. About noon they stopped to allow Jim to rest in the shade of a pretty orchard, 
and while they plucked and ate some of the cherries and plums that grew there, a soft voice suddenly said to them, There are bears nearby. Be careful. The wizard got out his sword at once, and Zeb grabbed the horsewhip. Dorothy climbed into the buggy, although Jim had been unharnessed from it and was grazing some distance away. The owner of the unseen voice laughed lightly and said, You cannot escape the bears that way. How can we escape? asked Dorothy nervously, for an unseen danger is always the hardest to face. You must take the river, was the reply. The bears will not venture upon the water. But we would be drowned, exclaimed the girl. Oh, there is no need of that, said the voice, which from its gentle tones seemed to belong to a young girl. You are strangers in the Valley of Vaux, and do not seem to know our ways, so I will try to save you. The next moment a broad-leafed plant was jerked from the ground where it grew, and held suspended in the air before the wizard. Sir, said the voice, you must rub these leaves upon the soles of all your feet, and then you will be able to walk upon the water without sinking below the surface. It is a secret the bears do not know, and we people of Vaux usually walk upon the water when we travel, and so escape our enemies. Thank you, cried the wizard joyfully, and at once rubbed the leaf upon the soles of Dorothy's shoes, and then upon his own. The girl took a leaf and rubbed it upon the kitten's paws, and the rest of the plant was handed to Zeb, who, after applying it to his own feet, carefully rubbed it upon all four of Jim's hooves, and then upon the tires of the buggy wheels. He had nearly finished this last task, when a low growling was suddenly heard, and the horse began to jump around and kick viciously with his heels. "'Quick, to the water, or you are lost!' cried the unseen friend, and without hesitation the wizard drew the buggy down the bank and out upon the broad river, for Dorothy was still seated in it, with Eureka in her arms. They did not sink at all, owing to the virtues of the strange plant they had used, and when the buggy was in the middle of the stream the wizard returned to the bank to assist Zeb and Jim. The horse was plunging madly about, and two or three deep gashes appeared upon its flanks, from which the blood flowed freely. "'Run for the river!' shouted the wizard, and Jim quickly freed himself from his unseen tormentors by a few vicious kicks, and then obeyed. As soon as he trotted out upon the surface of the river, he found himself safe from pursuit, and Zeb was already running across the water toward Dorothy. As the little wizard turned to follow them, he felt a hot breath against his cheek, and heard a low, fierce growl. At once he began stabbing in the air with his sword, and he knew that he had struck some substance, because when he drew back the blade it was dripping with blood. The third time that he thrust out the weapon there was a loud roar and a fall, and suddenly at his feet appeared the form of a great red bear, which was nearly as big as the horse, and much stronger and fiercer. The beast was quite dead from the sword thrusts, and after a glance at its terrible claws and sharp teeth, the little man turned in a panic and rushed out upon the water, 
for other menacing growls told him more bears were near. On the river, however, the adventurers seemed to be perfectly safe. Dorothy and the buggy had floated slowly downstream with the current of the water, and the others made haste to join her. The wizard opened his satchel and got out some sticking plaster, with which he mended the cuts Jim had received from the claws of the bears. "'I think we'd better stick to the river after this,' said Dorothy. "'If our unknown friend hadn't warned us and told us what to do, we would all be dead by this time.' "'That is true,' agreed the wizard. "'And as the river seems to be flowing in the direction of the Pyramid Mountain, it will be the easiest way for us to travel.' Zeb hitched Jim to the buggy again, and the horse trotted along and drew them rapidly over the smooth water. The kitten was at first dreadfully afraid of getting wet, but Dorothy let her down, and soon Eureka was frisking along beside the buggy without being scared a bit. Once a little fish swam too near the surface, and the kitten grabbed it in her mouth and ate it up as quick as a wink. But Dorothy cautioned her to be careful what she ate in this valley of enchantments, and no more fishes were careless enough to swim within reach. After a journey of several hours they came to a point where the river curved, and they found they must cross a mile or so of the valley before they came to the Pyramid Mountain. There were few houses in this part, and few orchards or flowers, so our friends feared they might encounter more of the savage bears which they had learned to dread with all their hearts. "'You'll have to make a dash, Jim,' said the wizard, "'and run as fast as you can go.' "'All right,' answered the horse. "'I'll do my best. "'But you must remember I'm old "'and my dashing days are past and gone.' All three got into the bucky, and Zeb picked up the reins, though Jim needed no guidance of any sort. The horse was still smarting from the sharp claws of the invisible bears, and as soon as he was on land and headed toward the mountain, the thought that more of those fearsome creatures might be near acted as a spur and sent him galloping along in a way that made Dorothy catch her breath. Then Zeb, in a spirit of mischief, uttered a growl like that of the bears, and Jim picked up his ears and fairly flew. His bony legs moved so fast they could scarcely be seen, and the wizard clung fast to the seat and yelled, Whoa! at the top of his voice. I'm, I'm afraid he's, he's running away, gasped Dorothy. I know he is, said Zeb, but no bear can catch him if he keeps up that gate, and the harness or the buggy don't break. Jim did not make a mile a minute, but almost before they were aware of it, he drew up at the foot of the mountain so suddenly that the wizard and Zeb both sailed over the dashboard and landed in the soft grass where they rolled over several times before they stopped. Dorothy nearly went with them, but she was holding fast to the iron rail of the seat and that saved her. She squeezed the kitten, though, until it screeched, and then the old cab horse made several curious sounds that led the little girl to suspect he was laughing at them all. End of chapter 9 Poor Jim got hacked up. Yeah, I know. By those bad bears. They killed bad one. bears. They killed at least one, though, right? I think so, and, and that, like, makes you think, like, 
If there's something dead but it's invisible, it's gonna stink up. <laughs> Where is that smell coming from? Nasty. <laughs> Nasty. I, dead, invisible I have looked things. everywhere. And something keeps tripping me. <laughs> oh, man, and it stinks. Yeah, for yeah. some reason, I can't publish, I can't put memes in the chat room. I'm, it's, it's making me start a thread, and I'm trying to oh, close I down. I don't know. I don't know. It probably just needs to be, um. Turn it off, turn it on again. All yeah, right. That whole thing. So, uh, yep. I, I could just go ahead and start the next uh, chapter if you would like, and uh, you can let's work do on it. that. And, uh, yeah, so let's uh, get to chapter 10 of Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz. You Don't got remember it. the title of this one, but hopefully there's no more doggone invisible bears. Chapter 10 of Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz by L. Frank Baum. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Braided Man of Pyramid Mountain The mountain before them was shaped like a cone and was so tall that its point was lost in the clouds. Directly facing the place where Jim had stopped was an arched opening leading to a broad stairway. The stairs were cut in the rock inside the mountain and they were broad and not very steep, because they circled around like a corkscrew, and at the arched opening where the flight began the circle was quite big. At the foot of the stairs was a sign reading, Warning, these steps lead to the land of the gargoyles. Danger, keep out. I wonder how Jim is ever going to draw the buggy up so many stairs, said Dorothy gravely. No trouble at all, declared the horse with a contemptuous neigh. Still, I don't care to drag any passengers. You'll all have to walk. Suppose the stairs get steeper, suggested Zeb doubtfully. Then you'll have to boost the buggy wheels, that's all, answered Jim. We'll try it anyway, said the wizard. It's the only way to get out of the Valley of Voe. So they began to ascend the stairs, Dorothy and the wizard first, Jim next, drawing the buggy, and then Zeb to watch that nothing happened to the harness. The light was dim, and soon they mounted into total darkness, so that the wizard was obliged to get out his lanterns to light the way. But this enabled them to proceed steadily until they came to a landing where there was a rift in the side of the mountain that let in both light and air. Looking through this opening, they could see the Valley of Vaux lying far below them, the cottages seeming like toy houses from that distance. After resting a few moments, they resumed their climb, and still the stairs were broad and low enough for Jim to drag the buggy easily after him. The old horse panted a little and had to stop often to get his breath. At such times, they were all glad to wait for him, for continually climbing upstairs is sure to make one's legs ache. They wound about, always going upward for some time. The lights from the lanterns dimly showed the way, but it was a gloomy journey, and they were pleased when a broad streak of light ahead assured them they were coming to a second landing. Here, one side of the mountain had a great hole in it, like the mouth of a cavern, and the stairs stopped at the near edge of the floor, and commenced ascending again at the opposite edge. 
The opening in the mountain was on the side opposite to the Valley of Vaux, and our travelers looked out upon a strange scene. Below them was a vast space, at the bottom of which was a black sea with rolling billows, through which little tongues of flame constantly shot up. Just above them, and almost on a level with their platform, were banks of rolling clouds, which constantly shifted position and changed color. The blues and grays were very beautiful, and Dorothy noticed that on the cloud banks sat or reclined fleecy, shadowy forms of beautiful things who must have been the cloud fairies. Mortals who stand upon the earth and look up at the sky cannot often distinguish these forms, but our friends were now so near to the clouds that they observed the dainty fairies very clearly. Are they real? asked Zeb in an awed voice. Of course, replied Dorothy softly. They are the cloud fairies. They seem like open work, remarked the boy, gazing intently. If I should squeeze one, there wouldn't be anything left of it. In the open space between the clouds and the black bubbling sea far beneath could be seen an occasional strange bird winging its way swiftly through the air. These birds were of enormous size and reminded Zeb of the rocks he had read about in the Arabian Nights. They had fierce eyes and sharp talons and beaks, and the children hoped none of them would venture into the cavern. Well, I declare! suddenly exclaimed the little wizard. What in the world is this? They turned around and found a man standing on the floor in the center of the cave, who bowed very politely when he saw he had attracted their attention. He was a very old man, bent nearly double, but the queerest thing about him was his white hair and beard. These were so long that they reached to his feet, and both the hair and the beard were carefully plaited into many braids, and the end of each braid fastened with a bow of colored ribbon. Where did you come from? asked Dorothy wonderingly. No place at all, answered the man with the braids. That is, not recently. Once I lived on top the earth, but for many years I have had my factory in this spot, halfway up Pyramid Mountain. Are we only halfway up? inquired the boy in a discouraged tone. I believe so, my lad, replied the braided man. But as I have never been in either direction down or up since I arrived, I cannot be positive whether it is exactly halfway or not. Have you a factory in this place? asked the wizard, who had been examining the strange personage carefully. To be sure, said the other. I am a great inventor, you must know, and I manufacture my products in this lonely spot. What are your products? inquired the wizard. Well, I make assorted flutters for flags and bunting, and a superior grade of rustles for ladies' silk gowns. I thought so, said the wizard with a sigh. May we examine some of these articles? Yes, indeed. Come into my shop, please. And the braided man turned and led the way into a smaller cave where he evidently lived. Here, on a broad shelf, were several cardboard boxes of various sizes, each tied with cotton cord. This, said the man, taking up a box and handling it gently, contains twelve dozen rustles, enough to last any lady a year. Will you buy it, my dear? he asked, addressing Dorothy. My gown isn't silk, she said, smiling. Never mind, 
When you open the box, the rustles will escape whether you are wearing a silk dress or not, said the man seriously. Then he picked up another box. In this, he continued, are many assorted flutters. They are invaluable to make flags flutter on a still day when there is no wind. You, sir, turning to the wizard, ought to have this assortment. Once you have tried my goods, I am sure you will never be without them. I have no money with me, said the wizard evasively. I do not want money, returned the braided man, for I could not spend it in this deserted place if I had it. But I would like very much a blue hair ribbon. You will notice my braids are tied with yellow, pink, brown, red, green, white, and black. But I have no blue ribbons. I'll get you one, cried Dorothy, who was sorry for the poor man. So she ran back to the buggy and took from her suitcase a pretty blue ribbon. It did her good to see how the braided man's eyes sparkled when he received this treasure. You have made me very, very happy, my dear, he exclaimed, and then he insisted on the wizard taking the box of flutters and the little girl accepting the box of rustles. You may need them some time, he said, and there is really no use in my manufacturing these things unless somebody uses them. Why did you leave the surface of the earth? inquired the wizard. I could not help it. It is a sad story. But if you will try to restrain your tears, I will tell you about it. On earth I was a manufacturer of imported holes of American Swiss cheese, and I will acknowledge that I supplied a superior article which was in great demand. Also I made pores for porous plasters, and high-grade holes for doughnuts and buttons. Finally I invented a new adjustable post hole, which I thought would make my fortune. I manufactured a large quantity of these post holes, and having no room in which to store them, I set them all end to end and put the top one in the ground. That made an extraordinarily long hole, as you may imagine, and reached far down into the earth, and as I leaned over it to try to see to the bottom, I lost my balance and tumbled in. Unfortunately, the hole led directly into the vast space you see outside this mountain. But I managed to catch a point of rock that projected from this cavern, and so saved myself from tumbling headlong into the black waves beneath, where the tongues of flame that dart out would certainly have consumed me. Here, then, I make my home, and although it is a lonely place, I amuse myself making rustles and flutters, and so get along very nicely. When the braided man had completed this strange tale, Dorothy nearly laughed because it was all so absurd, but the wizard tapped his forehead significantly to indicate that he thought the poor man was crazy. So they politely bade him good day and went back to the outer cavern to resume their journey. End of chapter 10 All right, what do you think of the halfway, Mark? Sounds great. The wizard's like, that guy's nuts. You can't make a living making holes for Swiss cheese. That guy's nuts. He is a little, that is a little bit of a crazy plan. So. He manufactured other kinds of holes and made a great living doing it. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's uh, adorable. Yeah. 
yeah, so, um, just so everybody knows, while I was doing, uh, well, we were in our first chapter, I listed a great copy of uh, Mad Max 2, or should I say The Road Warrior for the American audiences. Oh, good job. And I'm working on a deluxe uh, 20th uh, anniversary edition of Somewhere in Time, starring Chris, the late, great Christopher Reeve, and, of course, Jean, Jane Seymour, and the, another late, great Christopher, Christopher Plummer. Uh, yeah. So, what a great Gotta movie. love it. What a beautiful movie. I love that movie. So, mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, so there we go. Uh, uh, we're, we are halfway through. There we, we've and... plowed through some... Some vegetable people, some invisible bears. Uh, you know, got we got a, a kiddo drop. Oh, we got a we got a kiddo um, teaser. Kiddo uh -oh. teaser. Looks mm. like kiddo's being hit by somebody. I don't know. Maybe an invisible bear. Or maybe another kiddo had dropped something on that kiddo head. Hmm. I drew a picture of kiddo after kiddo ate the invisible fruit and was attacked by invisible bears in the invisible land. Do a great picture of it. I accidentally put a everybody smiley. Everybody <laughs> was invisible. What? Oh, no, everybody was invisible. There you go. Yeah, I drew a picture of everyone invisible Excellent. in a snowstorm. Polar bear in a snowstorm. So, Yep. There you go. Well, uh, no, I'm looking forward to it. I accidentally put a smiley face with a tear in its eye there, but I gave the the hearts and the eyes. So. <laughs> awesome. So um, I love it. I'll do the hearts and the eyes. There you go. Um, uh, can't cannot wait. Uh, I better get some more listings done so I have time to color in the next hour. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. So I can't yeah. wait. You know, when we see the, this is the noise we make when we see the full kiddo release. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's true. So, uh, all right. Well, we this marks uh, the the beginning of the end for Wormwood Forest. Everybody, we have uh, four more episodes to go. So. Then it's done. Shall it's all we done. Summon the crappy sounding rooster. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> Another day in Wormwood Forest. Hello, boys and girls. Once again, it's time for another visit with our friends down in Wormwood Forest. Hey, hey, don't run away. Listen a while, you'd want to stay. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Hello, everybody. This is Dippy Dwarf. Today, Frankie Frog gets a phone call that sends him hopping. So don't leave your radio, listen to our animal show. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Yeah, 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 yeah. The phone's ringing, Dippy. Shall I answer it? Hey, you might as well, Frankie Frog. It's probably for you anyway. Okay, kiddo. Uh, hello, the Dwarf Waldorf. You want to speak to Gorgeous Frog? Yeah, just a minute. Uh, it's for Gorgeous Frog. That's you, Frankie. Me? Oh, hey, hey, that's right. I forgot about my wrestling name. Uh, hello, Gorgeous Frog, the newest thing in the wrestling ring speaking. Oh, hi, you fucks. What? Oh, sure thing. I'll be right over. <laughs> Goodbye. Hey, what's up, Gorgeous? It's my manager, Swindler Q. Fox. He wants me to come over to the Pigs Hotel right away. Going to wrestle in the lobby of the Harmony Plaza? Oh, no. The Fox is living over there. He wants to make arrangements for my first wrestling match. Uh, here, I'll open the door for you. Certainly hate to see you go. You don't have to push me. I'm going. 
I'm glad the Pig's Hotel is just across the road. Shall I knock, or does one knock on the door of a hotel? Well, I'll just go in. Ah, there you are, Frog. Hiya, Fox. What's up? Do you know what tomorrow is? Uh, tomorrow? The uh, 4th of July, uh, Christmas, the birthday. Uh, uh... To save time, I'll tell you. It's Easter. Easter? Easter eggs? Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Ah, what a marvelous idea for your first wrestling match. <laughs> you really got an opponent all lined up for me? Yes. The Easter Bunny. The, the Easter Bunny? But, but, but if I beat him, everyone will hate me. Of course. You'll become a perfect villain. <laughs> but I don't want to be a villain. I want to be Gorgeous Frog. I'm your manager, Frog. You'll wrestle whomever I say. Oh, me. Now, Gorgeous Frog, you must get a suitable robe to wear as you make your appearance in the ring. Uh, what kind of robe? One that will please the ladies. I suggest you get Kitty to help you select it. Okay, but uh, how do I pay for it? Just charge it to the pig. A barbecue pig? But will she like that? What does it matter? I sold her a quarter interest in you. And that means she has to pay all of your expenses that amount to over a quarter. Well, then, what am I waiting for? If the pig pays, then Gorgeous Frog will buy and buy and buy. Bye-bye. Well, here's the old Badger residence. Susie Skunk and Kitty were going shopping today. Gee whiz, I hope they haven't gone already. If you're working your way through millinery school by selling bebop caps, I... Oh, hello, Frankie Frog. Well, hiya, Susie Skunk. And the name is Gorgeous Frog, remember? Oh, yes. The famous rag and bone artist. Uh, that's grunt and groan artist. Well, what does it matter? I haven't waxed the floors lately anyway. Won't you come in? I sure will. Is Kitty here? Oh, yes, she's in the parlor. Kitty... Look who's here. A frog as I live and breathe. Uh, hiya, kitty baby. It's your dream frog, gorgeous. Oh, am I really gorgeous today? I didn't mean you. I mean me. I'm gorgeous. Oh, so you think you're more gorgeous than I am. Yeah, I didn't say that, kitty. Oh, yes, you did, didn't he, Susie? Please, subtract me from this figuring. I'm neutral. Hey, hey, kitty, do you put down that base? I'll no. put it down oh. on the top of your conceited head. Oh, 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 oh my frog head. Oh, my oh, it was Frankie's fault. His head shouldn't be so hard. That's it. Put all the blame on Gorgeous Frog. There, you said it again. Oh, that's my priceless empty hey. picture. No, no, oh. Kitty, put that picture oh, down. I'll no, put it down no, on your vein. No, no, no. Oh, 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 why don't I keep my big frog mouth shut? Kitty, oh. please don't smash anything oh. else. It's time for my favorite radio oh. program now. Oh, Ma Possum? Or uh, Sadie Snake Girl Reptile? Or Lolly Baby Lobster? No. Here, I'll turn on the radio and you'll hear for yourself. There. Once again, it is the pleasure of the Pine Tree Broadcasting Company to present Hedda Hedgehog in Homemaking Can Be Charming with Ethelbert Bobolink at the organ. Hello, girls. Homemaking Can Be Charming, and I'm here to prove it. Only yesterday a weasel said to me, Hedda Hedgehog, everything you do is charming. You must lead a charmed life. And I do, girls. Oh, I do. Only yesterday I discovered a marvelous new recipe for pickled strawberries. You'll just love it, girls. You'll just love Mr. Announcer. Oh. Uh, Hedda, dear, here's a request from a listener in Hazelnut Hollow to read the poem you always read in April. Oh, yes, the poem. 
It's called Home Fox from a Bird. Poem. Oh, to be in Wormwood, now that April's here. Oh, to munch the crunchy lunch and drink the fresh root beer. For when April comes, a bird longs for home. And so do bears and long-eared hares and April showers. Music, Ethel Bird. Yeah, that's enough. Hedda Hedgehog is so inspiring, so charming. Personally, I can take her or leave her. And speaking of leaving, Sue... Oh, it is time to leave if we hope to do any shopping. Uh, uh, Before you go, I've got to talk to you. Oh, me? Yeah, no, Kitty. I refuse to talk to anyone who thinks he's more gorgeous than I am. No, Kitty, baby, that's my wrestling name, Gorgeous Frog. Oh, so it is. Now, will you listen, please, pretty Kitty? Well, do you think we have time, Susie? If he'll talk fast. You no, know, I'm a fast talker. It's this way, Kitty Baby. Swin like you, Fox, my manager said, I need a fancy robe to impress people to climb into the ring, and he thinks you're the one helping select it. Hold on, Frog, that's too fast. Uh, you said to talk fast. We didn't mean for you to talk in shorthand, Frankie. Yeah, well, what I said was, my manager, the Fox, wants me to buy a fancy robe to wear into the ring, and he said Kitty would be a good one to help me select it. Oh, good. You can come along with Susie and me while we select our Easter outfits. Oh, I can hardly wait to pick out my Easter bonnet. Nor can I. An Easter bonnet that will bring out the white of my fur and the blue of my eyes. Yeah, I can see you now, Kitty. In your Easter bonnet, with all the frills upon it, you'll be the grandest Kitty in the Easter parade. On the avenue, Wormwood Avenue, the photographers will snap you, and you'll find that you're in the road of gravure. Oh, I could write a sonnet about your Easter bonnet, or you'll be the grandest kitty in the the bonnet yet? No, Sue. There's so many fetching styles that I just can't decide. Well, I wish you two would hurry up and make up your mind. I've got to pick out a robe. Quiet, Frog. Oh, Sue, that's a demure little hat you're holding. Yes, I'd rather like this one. Oh, Clerk, you, Clerk. Did you call me, madam? Oh, Susie Skunky, my sweetie. Don't look my woodchucky. Are you clerking? Yes, Circumstances have forced me into selling hats here. Then give me your opinion, Chucky. Do you think this bonnet is becoming? Do I? Why, Susie, in that Easter bonnet uh, uh, with uh, all woodchuck, the... Uh, 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 woodchuck, I've already sung that song. Oh, mercy me. This is embarrassing. Why, Chucky? I don't know any other song about Easter bonnets. What about put on your Easter bonnet with all the frills upon it? Why, yes, I, I could sing that one. Well, Frankie. Uh, yeah, kitty baby? This would be a good time to select your role. I know exactly what you mean, kitty kids. Chucky, this bonnet is the right color for me, don't you think? Indubitably, Sue. It does things for you. The bathrobe department's over this way, Frog. I wish you'd call me gorgeous. I refuse to call you gorgeous, even if it is your wrestling name. Well, I don't see what's wrong with calling anyone gorgeous. Well, nothing's wrong with it. You may call me gorgeous any time you like. Here are the bathrobes. Where's the clerk? 
Hey, clerk, we want some service here. Did someone call me? Here's Joe Grasshopper. Hi. Interested in gentlemen's bathrobes? Yep, I want one to use in my wrestling profession. Oh, wrestler, huh? Yes, Grasshopper. Any suggestions for a wrestler's robe? Well, most wrestlers wear a robe that fits their name. What's your professional name, Frankie? Yeah, Gorgeous Frog. Gorgeous Frog, huh? Well, that calls for a robe embroidered with cheap imitation jewels and rhinestones and uh, gold braid. It does. Come to think of it, Frankie, that's exactly the kind of a robe you should have. Well, if you say so, I'll buy it. Uh, where is it? Well, naturally, we don't sell robes like that. You don't? Nope. I have to have it made up special. Can it be made here in this store, Gerald? Sure it can. Take the elevator to the fifth floor. Okay, I'll take the elevator to the fifth floor. I'm strong now that I'm a wrestler, Grasshopper. Gorgeous frog, you're as funny as a soft-boiled Easter egg. And Grasshopper, you're as... Well, I won't say it. I'm a kitty. Come, frog, to the elevator. I can't understand it. We've been pushing the elevator button for ten minutes and still no elevator. I guess we'll have to walk up to the fifth floor. Oh, wait, the light flashed on. Hey, an elevator. Going up, Timothy Turtle. Oh, no one of the service is so slow. Hi, Frankie. Hi, Kitty. Fifth floor, please, Turtle. Okay, watch your step. Second floor, lady shower curtains, gentlemen's aftershave lotion. Tim, why were you so long in answering the elevator call? I went to sleep in the basement. Always got sleepy riding up and down. Third floor, ladies' blankets, children's coats, vests, and linoleum. We don't want the third floor. Oh, that's quite all right. Fourth floor, linens, curtains, furniture, and buttonholes. We want off at the fifth floor. Nothing on the fifth floor but the tailor and department. That's where we want to go. I'm going to have my wrestling robe made there. Yeah, uh-huh. Oh, you got to wrestle, Frankie? Uh, Tim, uh, don't tell anybody, but I'm going to wrestle the Easter Bunny. You are? Fly. He's quite a character. That's big. Hey, you ears. don't say big, huh? Yeah, I bet you he can hey, take turtle, those Hey, Turtle, how do you and... know? Hey, have you seen the Easter Bunny? Sure. He's on the fifth floor right now. Hey, Kitty, let's go down. Frog, stop trembling. Fifth floor, Tyler and Department. Come on out of the elevator, Frankie. But, Kitty. Going down. Hey, hey, Tim, don't go down. I should. No, me shucking. I'm stuck up here on the fifth floor. Oh, don't be so namby-pamby. You can meet the Easter Bunny and size him up. But if he's big and strong, how will I ever win a wrestling match with him? Excuse me, do you have the time? Uh, sure, Rabbit, it's almost lunchtime. Uh, great, jumping jelly beans. I must get back to my eggs and finish painting them. Little Rabbit, are you helping the Easter Bunny? Helping him? Why, I am the Easter Bunny. Bye now. Where are my pink buttons? Kitty, you mean to say that's the Easter Bunny? Must be. And I was worried about wrestling. Oh, that little shrimp. Hey, Frog, your worries are silly. He'll be a pushover. You said it, kid. Come on, let's see about Moreau, Easter Bunny. What an opponent. Hey, Swindler Q. Fox, Dippy said you wanted to see me about something important. Yes, Frog. It's about your first wrestling match. Oh, it'll be a cinch, Fox. That Easter Bunny's a fluffy little You're thing. not going to fight the Easter Bunny. He'd be a pushover. He's much too busy to wrestle anything but Easter eggs. Then I don't have a match? What kind of manager do you think I am, gorgeous? Oh, then you've arranged another fight for me. But of course. You're going to meet one of the finest wrestlers in the woods. Uh, who is it? None other than Big Boy Bear, the bone crusher. B -b -b Big Boy Bear? Oh, no. 
He passed out. Too bad. Folks, did the frog faint? Yes, Barbecue Pig. Aren't you going to revive him? There's no rush. The fight isn't until next week. And as long as he's unconscious, he won't be worrying about meeting Big Boy. <laughs> and that, my dear, is the bare fact. <laughs> bare fact indeed. A wrestling match between a bear and a frog is something none of us should miss down in Wormwood Forest. Hey, hey, let's all lay We're so glad that you could stay There's always lots of fun Down in Wormwood Forest And next time, things should really be exciting Till then, this is Dippy Dwarf saying So long Remember next Saturday Listen to Wild Animal Play There's always lots of fun Down in Wormwood Forest Wormwood Forest written by Tom Titchener, has come to you from WSM in Nashville, Tennessee. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. There you go. You got it. Lots of new characters towards the end here. It's like they didn't want it to end, but... Yeah. I uh, don't know. We're going to see how this, this crazy thing wraps up if they're just going to be like, eh, it's just done. It's um, just done. We got canceled. Yeah. That's what they're going to do. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, but they're, this story is like, you know, the, this boxing story, it's, it's kind of like, they're the most dedicated to this one, I think, because they seem to flip-flop a little bit on the Rival Hotel thing, and that kind of just yeah. faded into nothing. And some of the faded early stories... Nothing. Yeah, and some of the early stories were just kind of like one and done, like Disney comes to town, they paint everything white, and and he's like, nope, can't use it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. So it's it's like they're having a hard time finding their footing with, with this one, but it's still enjoyable. I think it's uh, the old, lots of different writers, and then one writer goes, oh, I don't want to do this anymore, and does something else, and you know. Yeah. Uh, yep. But, uh, but yeah, this is, um, this is a, uh, you know, it'll be sad to see it come to an end, but, uh, you know. Fun stuff. I, it's, I just think it's. Something that happened for a little while. It's interesting to look into, but it just didn't last away. forever. <laughs> Radio away. dramas, huh? Mm -hmm. Love them. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Well, I'll tell you what. We're right at the top of the hour, so why don't we get the, the, the most painful part of the show out of the way and do the five-minute mystery, and then we'll return with our intro again. All right. So here we go. See if you can solve the stupid crime. Another five-minute mystery.
One side. One side. Doctor, doctor, I'm Mike Patterson. It's my father. Is he all right? We'll see, Mike. Where's the car? Just kept going after he got hit. He's all right, isn't he? I'm afraid not, Mike. Your father is dead. But, Mr. Floyd, how can the insurance company be so heartless? Now, don't get me wrong, Mr. Patterson. You'll get the money in time, just as soon as I've heard the story from you and Dr. Warren. And time is not good enough. I don't even have money to bury him decently. I'll be frank with you, Patterson. That's one of the reasons I've been asked to investigate this. You don't mean to say that... don't get upset. Just tell me the story as it happened. You'll probably get the money tonight. Let's begin with you, Dr. Warren. There's nothing much I can tell you, Mr. Floyd. Please, Doctor, whatever you can. Mike's father was a man of about 65... His left leg was missing. That happened in a railroad crash. It was years ago. He seems to have used a single crutch to help him, judging from the callus on his hand. Is that correct, Mike? Yes, practically all the time. Where did the automobile hit him, Dr. Warren? Mainly on the right side, from the look of things. That's where the worst damage was done. All right. Mr. Patterson, suppose you tell me what you know about it. Well, we were walking north, facing the traffic on the highway. And the car that hit him was going south. That's right. I particularly noticed the license plate as it approached. It was a Florida car, maybe heading home. What make? I don't know, but it was from Florida. I was helping my dad along, as I always did when he walked on the highway. And this car came along at a terrific speed and swerved towards us. I tried to pull my father off the road, but he couldn't move fast enough. The car hit him with a sickening thud and, and jerked him away from me. That's all I can tell you. Well, I've got the whole story now, I think, from my report. I want to thank you, both of you. This will facilitate action. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I... I suppose that means that I can get the money soon. Not exactly. That means that you'll go to the electric chair for the murder of your father. Why did Mr. Floyd charge Mike Patterson with murder? See if you can find the two flaws in his story. In a moment, you'll hear Mr. Floyd explain. But first... Let's see if your observation is as keen as Mr. Floyd's. Let me go. Let me go, I tell you. You can't prove a thing. Mr. Floyd, why did you accuse Mike of murdering his father? Was it simply because he's beneficiary? No, Doctor. There are two things wrong with this story. First, he said his father was hit by a car with Florida license plates in front. Florida hasn't had front license plates in years. But more important, Mike said he was helping his father. Now, if a man's left leg is off, he uses a crutch on that side and is helped on the right side. And if they were facing traffic, Mike would have been on the inside and would have been hit by the car. We suspected what happened when we saw blood on Mike's own car, but now we know.
cut out when you did that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, uh, welcome back to the show, everybody. Yes. We're back. Just finishing up my draft for Ghostbusters. Nice. And yeah, that that what that that five minute mystery wasn't as terrible as some of the other ones. Was, you know, well, we did see blood on his car. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's at least that. Um. Uh, but yeah, so uh, so yes, Adam, you will be happy to know that I'm listing Ghostbusters right now. Nice, clean Who brought the dog to the party? <laughs> um, but yeah, I uh, and you know it, it's interesting when I do the research on this. I always try and put in other movies that like the director and the actors have, have worked on. Ivan Reitman did a movie called Cannibal Girls in the seventies. <laughs> so that's fun. Yep. I did not realize he also did Meatballs in Kindergarten Cop. I think we have meatballs. Uh didn't I didn't we sell meatballs? Or was that hamburger the motion know. picture? <laughs> hamburger the motion picture we definitely sold. Hot dog the movie. Uh <laughs> No, Meatballs VHS 1979 with Bill Murray. Oh, there we go. Comedy cult classic. You can get that for just 7.99. It's been opened. Anyway, uh, yeah, so so there we go. We are back uh, with our uh, second hour, hour two of time for go to bed. And of course, this is where we uh, we go off to the circus land. And yes, don't worry, everyone. I chopped off the beginning of Jerry of the Circus, the, the music off the front end. I do this for you, for you people. Good. Thank you. So, um, yeah, anything else you'd like to add before we uh, start getting into Jerry of the Circus? And I think we have our kiddo drop coming, probably. Oh, there it is. Oh, but it's already there. Hey, I, I missed it. I was too busy writing. Oh, oh my gosh. There's so much going on there. Invis yeah. Invisible piglets wreaking havoc. That's oh, adorable. Fun. So, oh, I can't see it all because my computer screen's all messed up. Oh, wait, I can see it. Nice. Invisible piglets. Oh, That's they're awesome. so cute. Yeah, I had and my, an invisible. I had my mic a little quiet just because there's lots of uh, fan and cricket noise going on. Yep. So, uh, it but... happen. Yeah, no, fantastic work, uh, Foxfire. Um, Lovely. And, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish up Ghostbusters and and start coloring, so that'll be fun. nice. But uh, all right, let's get to uh, in the interim. Let's get to Jerry of the Circus. Here we go. Now for Jerry of the Circus. Here, Regs. Here, boy. Come on, Regs. Let's get over to the wagon. It's almost time for you to be getting ready for your act. Oh, you know it, huh? I suppose you know you're a star, too. Yes, you are. Bump said you were. 
You're a real honest-to-goodness circus trick dog. Rags! 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 Come here. Where are you going? Golly, look at him go. Rags! Oh, I see. He's chasing a duck. Rags, you leave that duck alone. You got it half scared to death. Why, by golly, it's Lulu, Johnny Bradley's trick duck. Get away now, Rags. Here, Lulu. Nice duck. Rags. That Rags won't hurt you, Lulu. He, he only wants to play. Come on, I'll, I'll pick you up. Nice, Lulu. Down, Rags. What you doing out in the backyard alone, huh? Where's your mask, Lulu? You know, Rags, this duck shouldn't be around loose. I bet Johnny Bradley doesn't even know she's out. Nice, Lulu. We'll find your master for you. Where? Oh, I see. You're right. That is Bradley. There's your master, Lulu. Over there, sitting on that bale. Thanks, Rags. I see him now. Mr. Bradley, Mr. Bradley, I got Lulu. Uh, uh, are you asleep, Mr. Bradley? Golly, Rags, I, I guess he's sleeping. He must be tired to, to fall asleep sitting up. <laughs> Quiet, Rags. Uh, uh, what? Are you? Oh, uh, where am I? Oh, it's you, Jerry. I'm sorry if we woke you up. Oh, that's all right, Jerry. Rags started to chase Lulu, and so I picked her up and was looking for you. I know you never let her run around loose. Oh, I should say not. Thank you, Jerry. Uh, hand me that box of hers there, will you? Here you are. Is this her house? Well, you might call it that. There you are, Lulu. In you go. How did she get away from you, Mr. Bradley? When I stumbled, no doubt the door sprang open. Did you and... trip over something? Uh, why, I, Or I... did you have another fainting spell? Oh, it's of no avail to try to deceive you, Jerry. I did become a bit weak. Are you Are you all right oh, now? Yes, Jerry. I, I should be quite all right. You really shouldn't be working if you're so sick. Alas, duty knows no bonds, my boy. Oh, what do you mean? The play must go on, my son, despite the frailty of the human body. But I'm sure Mr. Randall wouldn't want anyone to work if they're really sick. A kind man indeed. But who am I to burden him with my poor problems? I who have fallen so low. Gee, Mr. Bradley, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I... I thought you just said you tripped or stumbled or something. My boy, I hope you may never know the depths through which I have had to drag my weary body these many years. The despair I've known daily in performing the lowly tasks I have fallen heir to. You mean being a clown? Yeah, even a clown. Ah, oh, the irony. To bring the beauty of the greatest poet the world has ever known into the ring where people scoff and roar with low and reveled laughter. Oh, my boy, that is tasting the dregs. Indeed it is. Golly, Mr. Bradley, I, I just guess I don't know what you mean. I think being a clown, and a good one like you and Bumps, is one of the grandest things in the world. You just think how many people you make happy. Yes. Yes, my boy. You speak with the tongue of a philosopher. Indeed, you shame me. No task is too lowly. But, Mr. Bradley, if people are unhappy and discontented and feeling blue, and you can make them laugh and forget all the unhappy things, well, gee, maybe I'm crazy, but, but I can't imagine anything better. How can you say being a clown is lowly? Alas, I know not who has put such words of wisdom in your mouth, my boy, but indeed you are right. I weep shame that it would take a child to make me see the folly of my ways and the false pride in my heart. Why, Mr. Bradley, you're, you're really crying. From weakness, my boy. Truly, these are tears of joy that at last I'm beginning to see the circus in its true light of shedding happiness and joy on the peoples of the earth. 
I know we'll go on in a minute. My, 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 can't you wait? Oh, hello there, Jerry and Johnny. Uh, hi, Bumps. Gee, I'm sure glad you happened by. The fires of discontent. The fires of discontent. Well, why, Jerry? What was that you just said, Johnny? The fires of discontent. He's been talking awful funny, Bumps. Well, Johnny, are you sick? Well, good heavens, you got a temperature. He, he's delirious. He can't work. Here, give me a hand, Jerry. We'll move him into this wagon out of the sun. But, but what about his act? He's heavy. Uh, the boy is right. The play. The play is the thing. Uh, it's too late to get in touch with Randall. I guess we'll just have to cut his act today. Say, he's heavy, all right. Right this way, Jerry. Yeah. Uh, on this blanket. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Now, be careful now. Uh, to sink into the arms of Morpheus. What joy. What bliss. Uh, shall I get him some water? Uh, no, 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 wait. He's asleep. And it's just as well. The fever will probably wear itself off. Now, here, I'll just put this blanket over him so he won't catch cold. Poor fella. He's pretty old, isn't he? Say, Bumps. Uh, yes? I got an idea. What is it? Why can't I go on for him? What? Sure. I know what he does. Oh, why, you couldn't possibly do it. Why not? Gee, all he does in the first walk around is to make his duck follow him around the ring. Golly, that's easy enough. Oh, oh it's out of the question, Jerry. Oh, gee, please, Bumps. Just the first walk around. Lulu and I are friends, and she'll quack after me just like she does after Bradley. Oh, but the makeup... I and... can wear his clothes, and, and they'll look even funnier on me because I'm little. Oh, please, Bumps. Just let me try the first walk around. Well, I, I don't know what to say. It's... Oh, come on. After all, Lulu's the chief attraction there, and, and I know all the funny little steps and things he does while Lulu quacks around the ring. Uh, okay, okay, Jerry. I'll risk it. Now, here, quick, I'll help. Here, get these things of Bradley's down from the hooks. He hadn't even dressed yet. Will you have time to help me make up a bit? Uh, just barely. You can dress after I leave, if we're late, because Johnny always comes on later. Now, here, uh, these are all his things. This vest is your fancy. <laughs> Golly, th this hat slips way down over my face. <laughs> and remember to keep pushing it up when it gets over your eyes. Why, you can play it for a laugh. Yeah, and I can trip over these pants when they fall down too long. <laughs> you sure got the right idea for comedy stuff, Jerry. I guess you'll get by. <laughs> now, here, now put this white stuff over your face, quick. Yeah. It sure feels funny and sticky. <laughs> That's right. Here, now rub it in a little smoother. <laughs> I look... Just like I put my head in a barrel of dough. <laughs> I'll wipe it off around your eyes. Why'd you do that? Looks like I got big circles under my eyes. Yeah, makes you look sad, mournful-like. And now I'll just paint this mouth on you. Now hold steady. <laughs> Keep still. How can I rouge your mouth if you try to talk? There, there now. Oh, that's good, if I do say so myself. What a grin. Funny, though. It looks sad, too. Yep, that's the way it should be. I'm sorry to say the sorrier and sadder the clown is, if he keeps grinning and bearing all his indignities, the funnier it is to the crowd. Ah, oh, gee, I, I like those eyebrows. They're just like exclamation points. Gee, I, I sure look funny. <coughs> Isn't that so, Rags? Ah, <coughs> oh, gee, thanks, Bumps. You're swell. I won't muff things. I, I'm sure I won't. <laughs> well, son, looks as if that frock coat just about fits. The tails have just come to the floor. <laughs> Say, listen, Jerry, when you just walk out there, you'll get a laugh, or I'll miss my guess. Well, I gotta run. Good luck to you. Gee, I'll sure try. Look, Bradley's still asleep. Think he'll be all right? Oh, I'll tend to him right after the show. Well, goodbye. Now, come along. Come along, Rex. Oh, golly, I, 
I sure hope I do it right so Bradley won't get into trouble. Now, I, I just got to get Lulu. Here you are, Lulu. Now, think you can do your stuff with me? You better. Okay, Lulu. Come on. Recognize your music? Sure you do. I knew I could count on you. You're a swell little trooper. Here's our turn. Come on. On we go. Better not try it, Jerry. But didn't I do the other all right? Oh, you sure did. <laughs> you had him in the aisles. But listen, Jerry, this next act is different. Just Shakespeare. Just Shakespeare? Say, who do you think he was? Well, I guess he was pretty good. But I heard Bradley do it enough so I can get the idea. And gee, you saw how Lulu followed me around in the walk around. <laughs> I saw how she kept trying to run away from you. Well, the audience seemed to like it. I'll say they did. It was a riot. If you could have seen yourself chasing that duck and falling down over those long trousers every time you'd get ahead of him. <laughs> Why, you had me crying. Crying? First laughing and then crying. With that fool stovepipe falling down over your eyes and then rolling around the ring when you fell. You see? It worked out all right. Oh, please, Bumps. I may never have another chance. Honest, I know some Shakespeare. Oh, but Bradley used to be an old Shakespearean actor. He's got that grand old voice like an organ. And he's so darn dignified. Well, that's why it's so funny when the duck keeps interrupting him every time Bradley starts to spout all those speeches. Oh, gee, Bradley goes on next. Oh, just say yes, please. Oh, I'm sorry, son. I'm afraid that's too much of a good thing. Here goes Lulu. Gee whiz, that was her cue and she's gone out. What do we do? Lulu! Lulu! Oh, good night. Lulu! Lulu! Oh, well, Jerry, I guess Lulu's taking things into her own hands. Well, go on and good luck. Though that's a tough act for a kid to try to do. Oh, thanks, Bumps. I'll, I'll sure try. Hist! Hist! Hist there! What light through yonder window breaks? Ah! It is the yeast, and Juliet is the sun. Jerry's not going to try and do that act, is he? <laughs> Listen, we can just barely hear it. Away! Away, low churl! <laughs> <laughs> They're going to try to push that duck away. <laughs> oh, he hurt himself. <laughs> now listen, he's saying something. <laughs> Look at him holding his arms out to the duck as it goes squawking off. <laughs> alas! Alack! Alack! Alas! He can't think of any lines. <laughs> no. Parting is such sweet sorrow. Today, any day, every day. Tomorrow! <laughs> <laughs> My golly, he came through all right. That's it. That boy's a born trooper. Yep, he's got another job. You said he was going to get another job, and he did it. Oh, no. Oh, no. Is right. So, is it become, uh, do you think that's amusing? Uh, it's cute, but I think the other clown is going to kill him. In his sleep? Yeah, because he's, he, uh, took over his job. 
lay off the hooch. Um, <laughs> that's what they—they they have a, a lot of problems with hooch in the circus. The hooch. Yes, they do. Well, it, it is fun. Uh, and by the way, I, I want to say what an appreciation I have for uh, the method, the technique that. Uh, um, Foxfire used for the invisible pigs. I love that checked line. Um, yeah. I've always, I've always loved that in comic books or the funnies or whatever when they, you know, do the check, nice. checkered line. You know, they used to do that's the Invisible Woman back in the day in the, uh, yeah, in the Fantastic Four comic books and stuff like that. And it's just such a neat effect. Um, Super you know. cool. So, and I had fun. I made sure I went in so that their little invisible feet. That were touching the ground are green, oh. and their bodies that are touching the sky are blue, and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. um, nice. Yeah, and I'm almost done. I just got to fill in a couple more uh, blue spots, and uh, and it will be done. Resize it, put our logo on it, and uh, it's another Foxfire masterpiece. So, Seriously. Um. So that's... nice that uh, she can use some of her talents and and. Making a little picture. I don't know. Well, you know, it's, it's you know, it helps us out a lot. And, uh, you know, she said that it's kind of, you know, nice little bit of therapy, you know, uh, art therapy. Yeah. Too, so, and she's got such a great style that, you know, it's, it's really, yeah, I love really it. fun. So, um, but uh, anyway, well, I'll tell you what, uh, let's find out if Jerry's still on the payroll after his, uh, his first clown performance. What do you say? Let's do it. Now for Jerry of the Circus. Mr. Randall. Who is it? It's Jerry, Mr. Randall. Oh, come in, Jerry. Come on, Rags. Good morning, Jerry. Rags. Good morning, Mr. Randall. You sent for me? Yes, Jerry, sit down. It's about last night. You're, you're going on in place of Johnny Bradley and doing his act. Golly, Mr. Randall, I... Uh, just a minute, Jerry. I, I guess it wasn't altogether your fault, but there are a few things about this show I want you to know. But I just... Uh, you, uh, you just let me do the talking for a minute. I I sent for you because I want to explain something to you. Yes, sir. Now, in the first place, I'm the boss of this show, and anything that's done on this lot has to have my okay. It has to be that way. If everybody in the circus wanted to change his act or let someone go on for him, and he went ahead and did it without telling me about it first... Well, it just wouldn't be any time till I wouldn't have any show at all. Yes, sir. You know by now, Jerry, that everything goes off like clockwork around a circus. There can never be a slip-up. It might throw the whole routine off. I know that. If there has to be a change or a substitution, I should know about it. So I can tell the different ones that might affect. No one in this outfit is allowed to take it upon himself to do anything but his own work. But you weren't around, and, well, something had to be done quick because Mr. Bradley couldn't go on. Yes, yes, I, I heard he was sick, and that part is all right. Besides, I've heard some excellent reports on your work. Your taking Bradley's place last night was all right, but I want you to understand that I'm to be notified of any changes made in any part of the show from now on. Yes, sir. A couple of the boys told me you make a pretty good clown. They said you did the act just as if you'd been doing it for a long time. They said that? Yeah, I guess you did very well. Uh, how'd you learn that routine so fast, Jerry? Oh, I don't know. I guess I knew it pretty well from just watching. Well, you're going to turn out to be a real trooper someday. The circus needs wide-awake young men like yourself. It's 
plain to be seen that if you keep your eyes and ears open, you'll get a long way, Jerry. You just keep watching the axe. Gee, thanks, Mr. Randall. Now, getting back to Johnny Bradley, uh, what do you know about his being sick? Why, nothing. That is, well, all I know is that he gets fainting spells. Fainting spells? Uh Uh-huh. Bump said he thought he had a weak heart. Well, funny I haven't been notified of this. Guess I'll have to look into it myself. He gets weak and shaky and, and he can hardly walk. That's not so good. I think I'd better look him up right away and have a talk with him. Uh, are you going over toward your wagon? Uh-huh. Come on, Rags. Hey, always ready, aren't you, Rags? Then, then you're really not mad at me for last night, are you, Mr. Randall? Why, no, Jerry. I, I just want you to understand about making any changes without telling me first. As a matter of fact, you did such a good job of substituting for Johnny last night, I I think I'll make you an understudy for all the clowns. An understudy? What's that? Well, an understudy is a person who watches and learns other people's acts so that in case of emergency, he can go on and take their place. Just like I did last night, huh? That's it, Jerry. Golly, thanks, Mr. Randall. I'll watch all the acts and learn them real good. <laughs> That's a boy. Jerry? Oh, there's Jason, Mr. Randall. He's calling me. Come here, Jerry. Well, all right, run along and see what he wants. I'll see you later, Jerry. Okay, Goodbye. Come on, Rags. Good morning, Mr. Randall. Oh, good morning, Slim. Johnny around? Yeah, boss. He's in his wagon. That's good. Come in. Yeah, good morning, Johnny. Oh, good morning, Mr. Randall. Uh, where's Lats and Hooligan? Why, they went uptown after breakfast to do a little shopping. Good. I, I want to have a little talk with you, Johnny. Sit down, Mr. Randall. Thanks. Now then, uh... I understand you're not feeling so good. Oh, it's really nothing. I I just had a bit of a weak spell. I... Yeah, it's happened more than once, hasn't it? Well, yes, it has, Mr. Randall. Is it your heart, Johnny? I'm inclined to think it is. Not very good business working with a weak heart. Well, but I've got to go on working, Mr. Randall. Well, I, uh, I don't know anything about your business affairs, Johnny, but you've been getting a very nice salary from me for many seasons now, and, well, nothing personal, mind you, but... You're getting along in years, and I should think that perhaps you might have some money put aside so you can take it easy now. Well, that's just it, Mr. Randall. I haven't been able to save anything for myself. Uh, that's a shame. Uh, as I said, nothing personal. I like you, and I like your work. Your act is as clever as any I've ever had, but, well, I, I just can't have a sick man working in the show. You're not going to let me go. You're not being fair to yourself going on working. The work you do isn't especially easy, and... Well, you're just killing yourself. But I've got to finish the season. I I can't quit now. It's for my boy, Mr. Randall. Your boy? Yes, sir. You see, ever since I started working for you, I've been sending him the biggest part of my salary. Oh, he's a good boy, Mr. Randall, and deserving of it. Well, can't he take care of himself? I've been putting him through law school. Oh. He passed the bar examinations only a couple of months ago, and and I'm helping him along with his office now. Uh, Well, this puts a different light on it. You see, sir... Well, I'm trying to do all I can to help him get a start in life. Well, that's fine, Johnny. I've never told you this before, sir, but I was a star in my own right on Broadway. Uh-huh. Why, well, I've operated my own stock company. I really amounted to something in the show world at one time. Well, that's so. My boy doesn't know I'm with a circus. He thinks I'm still in the theater and doing well. Uh, for reasons I'd, well, I'd rather not go into, I, I had to leave the theater, and so I took to the circus. In my letters to him, I've given him the impression that I can well afford to send him through school and pay the expenses of his office until he becomes established. Uh, Where is your son, Johnny? In Jackson City, sir. Jackson City? Why, we play there soon. Won't you see him? Well, not if I can help it, Mr. Randall. You're a funny fellow, Johnny. Your old heart may be weak, but it's certainly not selfish. No, sir. 
Won't you let me go on? Uh, just until my boy can, can get along without me. Uh, I'll tell you what I'll do, Johnny. You can stay on, but I want you to promise me that you won't do your act unless you feel up to it. If you feel the least bit ill, I, I want you to report to me, and I'll see that you won't have to go on. Will you promise me that? Oh, yes, sir. I, I will, sir, and thank you, Mr. Randall. Uh, you get as much rest as you can, and, and above all, don't worry. There's no doubt that boy of yours will make good. I can tell he comes from mighty fine stock. My everlasting gratitude, Mr. Randall. All right, Johnny. Take it easy now. See you later. Well, goodbye, Mr. Randall, and, and thank you again, sir. Goodbye, Johnny. Mr. Randall. Uh, oh, yes, Jerry? Look what Jason's got. Uh, I'll be right with you. We got a surprise for you, Mr. Randall. Mm, another mouth to feed. Well, what's this? Well, what do you mean, Jason? Well, Jerry and I just got this crate down at the railroad station. It's a lion cub. Well, you don't say. O'Malley back at the winter quarters sent this cub on to me. We're just going to uncrate him. Well, let me look uh, through that crate there. <laughs> say, he's a cute little fellow, isn't he? Aren't you going to wait until we uncrate him? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Jerry. I got a lot of business to attend to. I'll see him later. Uh, remind me to come over and have a look at him, Jason. Okay, Mr. Randall. Hand me that screwdriver there, Jerry. Okay. Here you are. Want the hammer, too? Mm-hmm. Now, now let's see. Poor little thing. He wants to get out all right. <laughs> we'll have him out in a minute. Oh, you like to play with him, huh, Ray? Where are you going to put him, Jason? In with one of the big lions? Mm, not in your life. This little fellow's going to have a nice little cage all by himself. Yeah, there we are. Out you come. What's his name? Don't know that he's got a name yet, Jerry. O'Malley didn't mention it in the letter he sent to me the other day. Well, what are you going to call him? Well, we'll have to name him ourselves, won't we? Uh, do you name all of your animals? Most of them. Of course, some of them already had names when I got them. Can I name this one? Oh, sure, if you want to, Jerry. Have you got a name for him? Well, no, but I bet I can think of a good one. Well, what's it going to be? Well, how about Fuzzy? Fuzzy? Yeah, because his fur is so fuzzy. Do you hear that? Your godfather, Jerry Dugan, does hereby decree and bestow upon you the name Fuzzy. <laughs> Isn't he cute? Golly, thanks for letting me name him. <laughs> well, Rags, getting jealous, huh? Are we paying too much attention to our new pal, Fuzzy? Remember, you told me I could start training the little cubs sometime. And you'd like to start on Fuzzy, hmm? Is he too young to teach tricks to? Oh, I guess not. We can start with a few simple things, like just getting him used to commands. What's the first thing to do? Well, we can teach him to sit up. Might even see if he'll jump through a hoop for a nice piece of meat. But first, let's teach him and put him in the cage over there. Poor little fellow's been in that crate so long, we'll have to let him stretch his legs for a while. Here, open the door, Jerry. There you are, Fuzzy. There's your new home. That's the fella. Sniff around a bit and get your bearings. He acts just like a, a little kitten, doesn't he? Well, he does now, but it won't be long until his fur stands up and he declares it. Quiet, Rags. <laughs> Rags is acting more like a wild animal than Fuzzy. You know, Jason, I, I don't see how you can take a real wild jungle animal and, and make him tame. Tame? Well, you wouldn't call any cats of mine tame, would you? Oh, I guess I didn't mean that. No, you meant manageable, Jerry. Yeah, that's it. Well, as I've told you before, it takes a lot of patience. The first thing a jungle animal thinks of is to strike out. Fear is unknown to them, and it takes a long time to teach them that they have a master. You have to show them that you're the boss, don't you? Well, that's it, Jerry. But you have to do it with both kindness and patience. But never cruelly. That's right. Uh, hiya, Jason. Hello, Sid. What's on your mind? Uh, I got the mail, Jason. Here's a letter for you. Thanks. A any for me? Well, this is Jerry Dugan, Sid. Uh, Dugan, let me see. Yep, yep, here we are. Golly, thanks, mister. Well, who's it from, Jerry? Let's see. Lakeside Hospital. Oh, I... It's from my Uncle Dan. Oh, fine, Jerry. Gee, that's great. Oh, uh, here's another one for you, son. 
Another one? Well, a popular boy, huh, kid? <laughs> you bet he is. Now, that's all. So long. See you later, Sid. Goodbye. Who's the second one from, Jerry? Oh, that's from the bank. The bank? Uh-huh. They were going to find out about the key I have to Dad's safety deposit box. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Well, aren't you going to open that one first and find out if they've located the bank where your safety deposit box is? Golly, I don't know which one to open first. They're both important. Well, go ahead and see what your Uncle Dan has to say. Oh, okay. Uh, should I read it? Sure, go ahead. My dear Jerry, you're most likely be waiting to hear from me. But until today, I haven't been able to do much with a pen. As I write this, I am in a wheelchair, and believe me, it feels pretty good to be out of bed for a while. The doctor says I am getting along fine, and in a few days, he is going to let me try to walk. Oh, say, that's fine. Golly, I'll say. Uh, I hope everything is going along all right for you. Give my regards to Bumps and Mr. Randall and all your friends with the circus. I'm anxiously looking forward to the day when I can join you. However, I will write you again before I am dismissed from the hospital. If you find time, I would like to have a letter from you. Hoping to see you soon, Uncle Dan. Oh, that's a fine letter, Jerry. You going to answer it? You bet. I'm sure glad he's getting better. It won't be very much longer before he'll be with us. Now, how about the letter from the bank? It's pretty important that you find out where that safety deposit box is. I think I'll wait and let Patsy open it. There might be something real important in it. The meowing cat living, that's the, the new uh, lion cub. The new lion cub fuzzy. Yep. It sure is. It sure is. So, uh, yeah, that was... Uh, so Jerry's become a clown. He, he's still on the payroll. It's okay. They didn't fire him. That's good. He did a right? decent job, and he stayed on it. You don't do nothing without my permission, Jerry. Um, so, yeah, that was fun. Um, and uh, it's just about time to get into our other Jerry, Jerry uh, Hall from the Magic Islands, the show without any stinking music. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so are you ready to get to the Magic Island? I think we might have a breakthrough in this one. <gasps> Finally, yeah, I, I think that, that that they do the anticipation thing so well. Like, let's not. Yeah, come on, let's go. All right, here we go, Magic Island, episode seven. In the dark, mysterious South Pacific Ocean. A magnificent yacht is carrying its passengers and crew on a strange cruise. Jerry Hall has joined Mrs. Gregory and Captain Bradford on the Gregory yacht to aid in the search for Mrs. Gregory's little girl. Lost at sea when a baby, the girl has been reported living on a mysterious island. The yacht was anchored off a bank of what appeared to be fog, but was not natural fog. With the aid of apparatus designed by Captain Bradford, Jerry and his friends have looked over the fog and down onto the island. 
It is now after dark. The yacht is being drawn through the weird ring of fog, drawn without a sound toward the magic island. But, but Jerry, how could we be pulled to the island by the same magnetic force that was pushing it away from it an hour ago? Well, you see, Mrs. Gregory, magnetism works both ways. Maybe I can't explain it right, but anyhow, a magnet can either be fixed to attract or repel. Is that what I'm trying to say, Captain Bradford? Well, at least you're heading in the right direction, Jerry. It's a poor electrical engineer that can't do tricks with an electromagnet and plenty of power. Electrical engineer? I thought we'd find a tribe of savages on this island if we found anything. Yeah, that's what I figured, too. That old sailor, you know, who lived on this island or visited or, or something and then got away, he reported that he'd seen a little white girl living here with a strange race of savage people. Well, I'm not so sure of that, son. Remember, we got the story over our short wave in Los Angeles. At the same time, you got it over yours. And if I remember rightly, the report said a strange race of people, not a savage race. Tex is right, Jerry. It did say a strange race. Of course, we naturally thought of savages as the only sort of people who might be living unknown to the rest of the world. Well, we know now that the people who made all these scientific things we're running into are not savages. It looks to me like they know a whole lot of things we don't. No doubt about it. And while we just stand and talk on this deck, a heavy yacht with 800 horsepower motors is drifting helplessly into something we know nothing about. Well, let's quit talking and, and do something. We're drifting into that island pretty fast now. We're inside the fog ring now. Oh, if only it wasn't dark. Suppose... We'll hit the island pretty soon. But well, we're going slow. I guess it won't hurt the boat. There's, there's not a sound from anything. Can't even hear a ripple of water. This water is oiled or, or treated with something to hold it still on the surface. I can see a little light ahead. There's a yellow glow all over in front of us. Nothing we can see distinctly, though. We're slowing up. The boat is barely moving. Look, Tex. Can you see an outline there? Where? No. Where, Mr. Gregory? Just off the port beam, Jerry. No. I don't see anything. I do now. You're right, Pat. Look over here, kid. There's an arm jutting out. Right alongside the rail. Golly, of whiskers. It looks like a dock. We're drifting right up to it. Not drifting. Don't forget, son. We're being pulled. That, that light ahead is getting more distinct. I can make out the shoreline now. Funny shoreline. It looks so straight and smooth. See? See, it's shining in that yellow glow. Hold it. Quiet, both of you. Not a sound. We're rubbing against a dock, or a pier, or a landing of some kind. I thought so. And the boat has nearly stopped. It has stopped. We're not making any headway. But the stern is swinging in near that landing. Gee, the boat acts as if, as if it had a shoreline, and we're being snubbed in. We are being snubbed in, and without a line. This yacht is being warped against that dock by the same force that pulled us through the fog bank and into this shelter. But why don't we see somebody or something? Or hear something. Gosh, any kind of a noise would sound good right now. Hey, we stopped. We're hard against the thing on the port beam. Yes, we're here. And I'm afraid, Jerry, my boy, that we're actually on your magic island. Whether we want to be or not. Want to be? Why, Tex, we've come thousands of miles to find this place. And my little girl. Do you think we'll really find Joan here, Captain? Like the old sailor said? We're liable to find most anything here. Then let's start looking for it. You better go into your cabin, Pat. And stay there while Jerry and I have the first look around. I should say not. 
Wherever you two go, I'm going. Where are we going, Tex? We're going to step out on that dock, or ramp, or whatever it is, and see what happens. Oh, boy. Let's go. Steady, son. You go back and tell the skipper to stand by. Tell him he can quit worrying about his anchors. We're fastened to this island until someone else wants us to go. Yes, sir. And Jerry, tell the skipper to look sharp and give us a signal if anybody boards him. I'll be right back, sir. Oh, Tex, what do you think we'll find here? What's going to happen? What manner of people live here? Hold on now, Pat. You know as much about all that as I do. We'll just have to ease ashore and keep snooping around until we find something. Or something finds us. You better stay aboard, Pat. I'm not afraid. That is, of course I'm afraid. Horribly afraid. But you're all here because of me. It's my little girl we're looking for. And I'll go wherever you go. All right. You're the boss of this expedition. Well, everything's shipshape aboard. I gave your orders to the skipper, Tex. Any comments from him? Well, he, he looked plenty worried. And he didn't even say as much as he usually does. That would be only one word at a time. This time he just nodded his head. All right, now here's our situation as I see it. There's no use making any plans as to what we intend to do. Because we haven't the faintest idea what conditions we'll find when we get ashore. Now, we'll just step over on that landing there, keep close together, and walk toward that yellow glow of light. Whatever you say, Tex. Aye, aye, sir. All right, now. Over the side. I'll go first. All right, Jerry, come over. Now, Pat, give me your hand. All stand still for a second. Try to get your eyes accustomed to the shallow light. What there is of it. I can't see any better now than I could when we first saw that yellow light. Neither can I. And yet, I can. There's, there's something weird about that light. I have an idea there'll be something weird about everything we see for some time to come. Now, Jerry, you walk on my right here. Pat, you on my left. Both of you stay close enough that we can rub elbows as we walk. And stay close. Now, let's start slowly and carefully toward that yellow glow. Neither of you speak until I tell you to. Ready? I am. Yes, Tex. Not a sound. Here we go. And walk quietly. Stop. What is it? Did you see something? No, and I... I didn't hear anything. That's what's wrong. Well, what did you expect to hear? Our footsteps. I felt this landing with my hands when we came off the yacht. And if I ever felt any before, it's made of concrete. But here are three of us, walking at a fair pace. I have on heavy boots with leather heels, and yet we didn't make a sound. Oh, that's right. Well, wait till I feel this stuff with my hands. You're right, Tex. That's concrete, all right. But when I felt it, I slapped it good and hard. It made almost no sound. Gee. Gee, do you think... I we... think we've stumbled onto the greatest scientific miracle of our time. And there's no use in our trying to walk quietly or make any secret of our movements. You mean we're being watched now? In the dark? No, no. The captain means we're being watched by somebody who can see through this yellow haze. Just as easy as we could see in broad daylight. No doubt about that, son. This island, uh, if it is an island, is years ahead of anything we have ever known. And it has people on it that know things we never dreamed of. Could this all be artificial? The, the island, the, the fog, 
This light? Yes, it could be. And it is. For the simple reason that it couldn't possibly be natural. Golly, Whiskers. Well, what can we do? We can only do one thing, Jerry. Keep walking toward the center of that yellow light. Come on, then. I'm nervous and anxious to get it over with. I can even see as well as I could. Say, wait a minute. That's funny. What's up, Jerry? That yellow light. Look, behind us. What? What? Why, the light has moved. The center of it is behind us now. Yes, and if you look to the right or left, you'll see the center of it there, too. But the center of it couldn't be all around us. It has no center. That yellow glow is perfectly diffused all over this area. Then maybe we're not walking toward the light at all. We're just walking through it. What, what if we walk off the edge of something here? Uh, here, you get in the middle, Pat. No, no, I'll stay in the middle. You two are much lighter than I am. And if one of you slips off of something, the other two of us can pull you back onto this stuff we're walking on. Wouldn't you think we'd hear something soon? Yes, or see somebody. This has got me breaking out with ice water freckles. Maybe we'd better stop and, and think it over again. Getting scared, Jerry? You, you bet I'm scared. So am I, Jerry, but we may as well go on until... <gasps> oh. What is it? But which one of you gave me these? Huh? Gave you what? I gave you nothing. What are you... Huh? Well, well, why hand them to me? What? What are you two talking about? That just handed them to me. I did not. I still have the ones you gave me. Hey. Hey, now I've got them. Where did they come from? Pat, Jerry, steady now, both of you. Just answer my questions one at a time. Okay. Yes, Tex? Jerry, have you got a pair of glasses in your hands? Yeah, sure. Mrs. Gregory just handed them to Why, me. Jerry, you handed them to me. Quiet. One at a time, I said. Have you also got a pair of glasses in your hands now, Pat? Yes, uh, I have. But I... Yes, and I have got a pair. But, but where did... Tex, they... what is this? Quiet, I said. They mean our lives. Quiet while I talk. Someone or something, something we couldn't hear, see, or feel, has just handed each of us a pair of glasses. There must be a reason for that. Well, I don't want to find out what it is. Oh, Tex, what have we gotten into? You know about as much about it as I do. There's only one thing to do. Each keep your grip on the other one's arm and put your glasses on with one hand. But what do you suppose the glasses are for? What any glasses are for, to see through. But it's nearly dark, worse than dark. What good will glasses do? Someone handed us those glasses. Someone who made no sound. And they weren't fumbling around in the dark because they didn't touch us at all. Therefore, whoever it was must have been able to see, and see perfectly. I think the time has come when we'll be allowed to see our surroundings. I'm putting mine on. Me too. But I'm, I'm shaking so I can't find my face. Oh, there now. Yeah, just stand still and... Well, it's getting lighter. No, it isn't. It's the glasses. I'm beginning to see. Take it as calmly as you can. No matter what you see, it won't help any to crack up about it. Tex, look. Right, right beside me. They're almost on top of us. Look, there. Over there. Oh. <laughs> That's where it came from. There's your cliffhanger. Oh. That it, that's the cliffhanger? That's where they ended it? God damn it. <laughs> what a bunch of dicks. Seriously. Uh, well, there is another episode still. <laughs> Look over there. <laughs> what? What the fuck is happening here? Hey, hey, this is a family show. 
Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. <laughs> Story time, not foul mouth. I'm sorry. I'm getting a little bit irritated with the suspense on this particular. Yeah. Yeah. Understood. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, well, let's go ahead and see what the, the, this was all about. Ooh. <laughs> there you go. It's a long way from the coast of California to the South Seas, but many ocean liners travel that route with no more excitement than a trolley car ride. And almost directly in the path of these steamers lies a strange hidden island, the magic island of the South Seas. The Gregory yacht has sailed to this island in search of Mrs. Gregory's long-lost little daughter. Now the yacht is held fast to the island by a powerful magnetic force. Jerry, Captain Bradford, and Mrs. Gregory leave the yacht they stumble blindly through the weird yellow half-light that covers everything. Suddenly, some unseen person or phantom thing thrusts a pair of glasses into the hands of each. Oh, Tex, Jerry, look. They're all around us. And we haven't heard the slightest sound. I felt better when I couldn't see them. Speak to them, Tex. Say something to them. They aren't making any move to harm us. I'll go near them. You and Jerry say, well, I can't move. I'm scared, too. But I can move anyway. I'll show you and... Gee, I can't even move my arms. It's almost as if we were rooted to this spot. Gosh, why don't they move or say something? Speak to them, Tex. Get them to move. This will drive us mad. Steady, Patricia. These men are not savages. They're strangely dressed, but they, they look civilized and intelligent. But why can't we move? I know why, but I don't know how it's being done. I have a gun in my pocket. I can feel it being drawn downward. Sure, that's it. Magnetism again. That's why my flashlight feels like it weighs a ton in my pocket. Oh, my head. Something's pulling at my hair. Oh, of course, the metal hairpin. What's holding our hands and feet so still? I think we'll find out a lot in a minute. One of those men are coming towards us now. Yeah. His legs <gasps> are moving all right. He's walking pretty fast. Say, why doesn't he get any closer to us? Oh, the shallow light is deceptive. Probably an illusion deliberately created to throw our sense of perspective out of balance. Oh, but they don't speak English. Let me do the talking if we get a chance to do anything. Hello there. How do you do? I guess I don't speak anything. We'll soon find out. Well, if I could move my arms, I could shake hands with this gentleman. I think that will not be necessary. In fact, it would not be advisable. Golly, Whiskers, he can talk. It's a relief to hear English spoken in this strange place. This strange place? Uh, Madame is mistaken. This is a perfectly natural place. You three are the strange elements here. Well, I guess you're right at that. We seem to have intruded upon something that's a little bit beyond our depth. What's it all about, Professor? Oh, do not apply to me the title you confer upon your petty educators in what you so grandly choose to call your world. World indeed. Why, you poor innocents cannot even dream of the world as it is given to us to know it. Now, I will introduce myself. I am called G-47. G where? No, G-47. Is this real, Tex? It is, but no one back home will believe us. May 
May I ask a question of you, G-47? At least, Madame Gregory, you... He knows me. Silence, Madame, or I shall think you as rude as your strange companions. I'm sorry, but I was so surprised that you should know me. I think we're going to be more surprised if we can find something this guy don't know. You are a very observant person for one so young. Well, before we go on with this, this display of our ignorance and your confounded superiority, you might at least call off your magnetic force. It'd be more comfortable if we could walk around a little. I am disappointed in you, Captain Bradford. Oh, you win, G-47. Suppose we could have moved long ago if we'd had sense enough to try it. You were released the moment I spoke to you. Now, if you are through gaping and wondering, I will be glad to answer Madame Gregory's question. The object of your search is here. Then the old sailor's story was true. There is a little white girl living here. Gee, and can we see her right away? Yes, let's get it over with, or do we just stand here all night? Your rudeness will be overlooked. This time, Captain Bradford, you will follow me. Come. Well, I guess nobody who saw this would ever make fun of my magic island again. You will see no magic here. This is a land of fact. Cold, hard, scientific fact. What you say is obviously true, but we've been accustomed to getting our facts in a little less spectacular manner. Everything here is real enough, but it's all so strange to us. Notice how all these other men merely stand aside and let us pass. They don't look curious, happy, angry. They they just don't look anything. Huh. Guess they don't think we rate getting excited about On the contrary, you are rather interesting subjects. It will be a pleasure to study you at greater length <laughs> when time permits. Well, it isn't the most comfortable feeling in the world to be spoken of as a subject for study, as, as if we were bugs on a microscopic slide. But remember, Pat, as long as we're being studied, we'll be alive, and while... And while you're alive, there is always the possibility of your escape, eh? That can wait. Please, G-47, may we see the little girl? We are nearly to the ladies' quarters now. I imagine the ladies of your colony are kept rather well protected in the event your island might be surprised and perhaps captured, eh, G-47? Do not be unnecessarily stupid. We fear nothing. I've got an idea he means that. May we inquire where the ladies of your, your colony may be found? I see none of them. This is the 600 second period when the ladies are engaged in caring for their living quarters, making their dresses for tomorrow. You mean 600 seconds as we figure time in our world? Precisely. But golly whiskers, 600 seconds, that's only 10 minutes. You mean the ladies make their own dresses in 10 minutes? And attend to caring for their living quarters in the same time? Five minutes to make a dress, It Pat. is a waste of valuable time, I admit. But we haven't been able to solve the problem of making a satisfactory garment in less than 300 seconds. Good heavens, five minutes to make a dress and the man calls it a waste I of time. I said 300 seconds, not five minutes. We have no time to deal in minutes here. Time is too precious. We measure it in seconds. I'll bet these guys could put up the Empire State Building at lunch hour. Boy, oh boy. And the ladies make a new dress for every day? Precisely. You will see all that being done and more before you leave the Isle of Euclidia. Mm -hmm. So that's it, Euclidia. 
You named your scientific island for Euclid, the father of geometry. You are learning, Captain Bradford. <laughs> I am called G-47. It's the highest authority in Euclid on the subject of mathematics. G for geometry, 47 for the squaring of the circle. The 47th problem of Euclid. G-47. And do all the other men on the island have names like yours? No, they are all different from mine. I mean, are they, uh, do they mean something like yours does? Everything on this island means something. The names are similar to mine. But enough with this childish prattle. Directly before you, you will notice a small, gleaming copper door. You are expected. Enter. <laughs> I will return for you when the time limit of your visit is reached. Well, if we ever wake up at all, this is going to be a dream hard to forget. This is no dream. It's the real thing. A magic island. Oh, I'm so nervous. Do you think we'll really see my little girl after all this? Will she prove to be my little girl? My little daughter, Joan. Well, let's knock on this door and find out. Gee, the door opened without a sound before I touched it. Are we supposed to walk right in? You may enter. D did you hear that? A young girl's voice. Let's go in. What, what a small room. Oh, uh, are you... How do you do? Will you not sit down? Allow me, Mrs. Gregory. You there, Captain Bradford. And you here, Gerald. Huh, Gerald. Hmm. Oh, Tex, I... Steady, Patricia. Now take it as calmly as you can. Jerry and I will just sit quietly in the background. As far back as we can go back in this little cubbyhole. You go ahead and talk to her. Find out if... if... Good luck, dear. Do you mind if I question you? Not at all. We of Euclidia encourage conversation when the subject is of value and takes little time. Remember, we are allowed but 120 seconds for this visit. Gee, Tex... Whoever heard of a 15-year-old girl talking like that? Hush, Jerry. Let's don't use up any of Mrs. Gregory's 120 seconds. Your name... What are you called, my dear? I am called Cleostra. Each one on Euclidia has a namesake in science. Cleostratus was an astronomer of ancient Greece who arranged the signs of the zodiac. I came to this island on the day the Euclidians changed the calendar from your clumsy one of 12 months of different lengths to our perfect one of 13 months. Hence, I was called Cleostra in honor of that day. Golly whiskers. That girl was one of my school teachers. Hush, Jerry. Tell me, my... Cleostra, do you know how you came to this island, to Euclidia? Why, of course. I was cast upon the island after a shipwreck near here. I was tied to a sinking lifeboat. Yes. Yes, that would be right. The lifeboat was sinking... All the men left it and tried to swim to safety so that you and I would have a better chance to live. I remember tying you to the boat and then I could remember nothing else. You remember? You tied me to that boat? Yes, that's the last thing I remember. That was 14 years ago. You... You should be 15 now. The keeper of the records tells me I am just 15. But you spoke of fastening me to the lifeboat. You? Who are you? I am your mother. I am Mrs. Patricia Gregory. I know all that, but you are someone else also. There is something, I cannot explain it. My feeling is strange to me, but the Euclidians have kept so much news of the world from me. I suppose we are very happy here, yet I have often wished to know something of the world, your world. Now you've brought that to me. Will you turn your head? May I touch you, my child? Certainly. Oh... 
You feel so strange. So warm and friendly. Your hands... No one's hands ever felt like that to me before. I knew your hair would be golden and curly, and I'm afraid to look. It would be a tiny star-shaped scar at the base of your neck. Oh, it, it's here, Tex. Jerry, the scar. It's Joan, my baby. My little daughter, Joan. My little girl. Joan. Oh. There was. She didn't Joan. have much of a tan or anything. That's good. Her hair nope. was golden. Good white girl. Yeah. So. All right. This is starting to be more of a science uh, island than a magic island. Where where the magic at? I don't see no magic. I don't see uh... no witches. I don't see no magic. Yeah. I'm just saying. I hear you. Yeah. You hear me. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. It's an interesting little island. Do you think we'll like it? Uh, it's okay so far. Yeah. I'd like to see what other people They think. really do, uh, suspend you. And uh, they really do tell you a story and then not tell you anything and then tell you a story and then not tell you anything. So yep. there's that. Yeah. Interesting. Quite a way to tell a story. It is. Anyway, um, yeah, so we uh, completed another show. We got our great show art from Foxfire 505. And, so uh, talented. So talented. I know. I love it. It's They're such a treat to... Um, the tran the trans I just want to say the transparency on them has been remarkable. So whatever you're doing... Uh, lately with your scans and stuff they're perfect for me to color so um, perfect I know so, you know it's and files do weird things when you upload them on the internet too so sometimes you lose transparency but whatever you've been doing here has been great so um, but just uh, delightful yeah yeah so I want to look at it again um, invisible piglets love it so anyway um yeah check out uh it came from cleveland tomorrow we've got a lot of fun stuff to talk about uh i think on the docket uh, we got paul rubens sean connery uh a little tom scarrett um uh oh, oh gosh oh, what's his name the director um uh edward scissorhands johnny depp uh guy um that would be tim burton god darn it tim burton yeah that dude uh, yeah, some Tim Burton, a uh, bunch of other stuff. Uh, uh, Ray Park, who uh, was in, uh, who's Darth Maul and stuff like that. So all kinds of great yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. A veritable potpourri. But I'm gonna shut up and let Susan have the last couple words. I don't know. I got nothing. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for enjoying the Thursday with me. Thanks for uh, listening to some stories and chilling out and enjoying the summer ween. 
that's when it's summer, but you can look forward to Halloween and all the scary fall things that are going to happen eventually because it's hot, but eventually it'll cool down. Ten seconds. Yeah, ten seconds to talk. Um, talky talk. Time Great for to go to bed. Time for go to bed. Oh, gosh.